Hello, this is Tony Campolo, and uh, the name of the show is From Across the Pond. And we call it that because we put the show together just outside of Philadelphia. Uh, Cabrini University provides us with a, a, a studio, a very fine studio. And, uh, of course, I'm from Eastern University, a Christian university on the outskirts of Philadelphia, a school that tries to wed together faith and reason and justice. Uh, Shane is usually on the show with me, Shane Claiborne, but he's not with me today because he's out on a tour across the nation, preaching the gospel, winning people to Jesus, and doing good things for the kingdom. I have a guest today, Michael Messenger. Uh, The truth is, he's a friend, and beyond that, he holds a very, very high position. He's the president of World Vision Canada and uh, is responsible for the development of programs all across Canada that will facilitate the work of the Canadians as they seek to reach out to the people who Jesus called the least of these. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you, Tony. It's, uh, it's great to be talking with you today. Yeah, and uh, you're, you're, you, it's, uh, it's like uh, beyond up to the frozen pond here in Canada at the moment. Is it really freezing up there? Yeah, it, it's cold. Oh, my. Well, uh, you've been all over the world, so, uh, and you've been to a lot of hot places, uh, South Sudan, uh, Central African Republic, uh, the uh, Afghanistan, you, you, you've been to Haiti, you name it, and you've been there. And so uh, here you are being punished in a cool area after being all those uh, warm places. Uh, tell me about uh, what World Vision is doing. Uh, who are the most marginalized people that uh, World Vision is seeking to serve, and how are they seeking to serve them? Well, when we think of marginalized people, we think of vulnerable children around the world, and that's at the core of World Vision's work. Uh, in World Vision here in Canada, we're part of a global partnership that works in challenging countries and in support countries like the UK and the US as well. And at the core of our mission is trying to serve those who are most in need. And I would tell you that in today's world, increasingly, poverty is going to hide in dark places. The most vulnerable people in the world today are in some of those places that we call fragile contexts, uh, conflict-affected countries. And that would be probably a girl, maybe a, a girl in, in Central African Republic or in the Eastern Democratic Republic of the Congo who's facing conflict or sexual violence, gender inequity, and there in that place, Ebola. And that's really at the far reach of the the of what we want to do at World Vision to make a difference and improve the lives of children just like those, and inviting Canadians and people around the world, Christians of, of all backgrounds and non-Christians too, to join us in this mission to help those, those vulnerable kids. The deadly disease Ebola that you just mentioned, uh, I thought that had been extinguished. Well, Ebola is a really fascinating virus that, that pops up from time to time. There's currently an outbreak in the eastern part of the Democratic Republic of the Congo, there have been more than 3,000 reported cases and 2,000 deaths in that area. So I was right in the heart of that, that uh, part of the world uh, just at the end of last year, visiting our World Vision teams. What we're doing there, we're working alongside agencies that are actually providing the medical assistance, but we're playing a really critical role in helping communities understand how to prepare for Ebola, what are, what's good hygiene, what does it mean to work together, just kind of um, really sharing that critical information, which is really hard in that part of the world because 
this ongoing conflict. Uh, in fact, one of the areas that I, w- I was visiting, we're not working in at the moment. It's one of the, the epicenters of that Ebola outbreak, and it's because armed groups have come in and shut it down. We're really worried about the, the families and, and communities who are at risk of not only violence, but now disease. I remember a few years ago when I was up there at your headquarters in Canada, uh, some people broke into one of the World Vision uh, offices uh, and, and killed the people who were working there. I mean, the World Vision workers in places like you're describing are serving in danger. I mean, their their lives are in peril, and yet they're there in the name of Jesus to help the poorest of the poor. Um, I have a particular concern for Haiti. I've been involved in ministries in Haiti for more than 40 years. Uh, They had an earthquake, uh, uh, and... uh, I guess it's been, what, about 10 years ago, or is it that long? Exactly 10 years ago this week, actually. Yes, and uh, uh, somewhere around between 200,000 and 250,000 people died as a result of that earthquake. I mean, it was an incredible disaster. You've been down there. What have you been doing in Haiti? What has World Vision been doing in Haiti? One of the challenges of the situation in Haiti is the continued political instability. You know, in fragile contexts like Haiti, I use that word fragile context, it's kind of a, you know, it's, it's jargon in some ways, but what it means is it describes a country where some of the basic needs that, or, or um, uh, services that a government will provide to its citizens are at risk, they are, you know, perhaps intermittent or they're non-existent. Uh-huh. And it, that's why it, political instability is one of the first triggers for that kind of fragility, and Haiti is a great example of that. So it, that instability hinders the, the Haitian government's ability to meet just the basic needs of its people, mm-hmm. let alone resolving long, long-standing human rights problems or addressing humanitarian crises. So even though we're 10 years out from the earthquake, and you're right, 200,000-plus people were killed, but 3 million people were affected, you know, significant, either displaced or relying on humanitarian assistance, uh, it's it's still the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Yeah, and now, the... World Vision is there working with communities. The good news is that we we're actually we're focusing on helping the communities that we work with better prepare for disasters, so that they are can be more resilient in the face of natural disasters. We're expecting more to come, not necessarily earthquakes, but you know, climate change is making storms less uh, predictable, uh, um, often worse. It's just there's a lot of lot of lot of examples where uh, we need to help the the communities be ready for when the next disaster strikes. And unfortunately, it's not a question of if, but likely of when. When we look at World Vision, I'm really impressed because it's a very holistic approach. Uh, you have a child uh, support system. Uh, world Vision around the world uh, is calling upon people who have the means to do so, to adopt a child in a developing country. What I mean by adopt, I mean sponsor. Uh, In uh, the United Kingdom, about 20 pounds a a month would do it. Uh, In in Canada, what is it, about $38 a month? Yeah, it's it's between $39 and $45. Oh, okay, so it's up there. And we ask uh, families, uh, would you be willing to sponsor a child? Uh, generally, World Vision provides uh, a little packet 
with a photograph of the child uh, so that the sponsor can write to the child. The child writes back to the sponsor. This is an incredible oh, experience, especially for children. I know I have two, two grandchildren who are supporting children with World Vision, and uh, they love getting letters uh, from, uh, from Latin America. Uh, their two children come uh, from uh, Latin America, and uh, they get letters, and they write letters, and it broadens their view. Uh, a couple of years ago at Christmas, I didn't know what to buy my grandchildren for Christmas, so I, I ordered some packets from World Vision and sent to each of them a, a photograph and a story about a needy child in a third world country and said, your Christmas present is going to be this. I'm going to put up the money for you to be sponsoring a child in a third world country. Your responsibility is to write to that child every month to stay in touch and find out what that child is about. And so my grandchildren, living in the world of affluence, have constant contact with a child who is in desperate need. And uh, people out there, uh, wherever you are, whatever country you're in, why don't you uh, go to information on the phone and find out where the World Vision uh, headquarters is in your country. And why don't you write and say, hey, I'd like to support a child through World Vision. I'd like to support a child who is in a third world country and needs help. And uh, they'll set you up. They'll be glad to hear from you. So, so why don't you do that? I've been talking to Michael Messenger, uh, the president of World Vision Canada. Uh, we just mentioned a little bit about Haiti. Uh, what are some of the things you're doing in Haiti? Well, we have long-term community development programs supported by child sponsorship is, is one example. And, you know, the, the, the model of child sponsorship that you talked about a minute ago, Tony, is it's based not only in um, building a relationship with an individual child, but also helping the whole family and the entire community. And our community-based approach really helps us to connect with communities and understand their needs. Sometimes, you know, in the past, organizations like ours, I've, you know, we've gone in thinking that we have all the answers without recognizing that communities, even in some of the world's toughest places, are, are, have strengths. They've got community connections that, frankly, we just miss out on in, in, the, in the northern uh, affluent world. And we, we come alongside and identify those strengths and then identify gaps and see how together we can close them. Mm. And on top of that comes this relationship between a sponsor and a child. We've done academic research, interestingly, on the effectiveness of our child sponsorship programming, and it's making a huge difference. What I was incredibly struck by was the fact that children who are in regular touch with their sponsors, who know that there is somebody on the other side of the world, perhaps, who cares for them, giving them a better perspective, they actually have uh, statistically better outcomes in the development work. It just shows that that model of connection as well as deep community engagement works. You know, uh, people often ask uh, a very simple question. If I give money to World Vision, uh, what uh, proportion of my gift actually goes to help the family? And how much goes to the administration of the headquarters of the organization? Uh, how much money is spent on the, the organization and how much is spent on the family. I get that over and over again. Uh, I've researched that as an outsider, and I find that uh, World Vision uh, can tell a sponsor, when you give your gift 
to sponsor a child in a developing country, over 80% of the money that you give goes directly to that child's family. Now, I say the family because generally the money comes in and it doesn't simply mean that the child's going to eat, but probably the whole family will eat. And please understand, your gift provides food, medical services, education, the whole ball of wax. And what a wonderful thing to do. And so uh, I, I, might, might you comment on, the, on what I just said about the high percentage of the gift going to the, to the family? Our commitment is to make sure that we are as good stewards as we can of the gift of, of donor dollars. We don't, we don't see them as gift, you know, just money that we have to disperse. We see it as gifts from God, frankly, that we have a, a spiritual stewardship to ensure that we make, use it most effectively. And you're right. Uh, here at World Vision Canada, it's about 80% of our funding from all of our revenue sources goes towards supporting programs helping children. And in fact, in our sponsorship program, not only are the funds going to support the child and the family, but also the entire community. By coming together, by building a, a critical mass of, of children who are sponsored in, in communities supported by World Vision and a mass of sponsors elsewhere in the world, we can combine our resources and actually can make bigger difference. So we can combine resources to perhaps build a, a bigger water system, providing clean water to entire communities where uh, there haven't been any before. We, in our model, actually, we've, we've been doing some research as well, that we know that for every child that we sponsor, at least four more benefit from programs directly helping them improve their lives. And that's, that's something that we celebrate. Well, the uh, good news is that World Vision's out there doing work that needs to be done. It's the largest uh, Christian uh, non a Christian development organization in the world, and uh, it's a very efficient organization. I've been talking to our guest today. This is Tony Campolo. The name of the show is uh, From Across the Pond. My guest today is Michael Messenger. Uh, Shane Claiborne, who is usually with me when I do programs, is out preaching all over the United States for this month. Uh, I don't think he's going to touch down in Philadelphia uh, from now until the end of the month. He's out there preaching, and we're glad for that. Uh, World Vision uh, goes into all kinds of countries. One of the things that I uh, admire about World Vision is uh, there are some countries in the world that won't allow for the gospel to be preached uh, by the people who are running uh, Christian organizations like World Vision. Uh, And they say, well, if we can't preach the gospel, we're not going to be there. The reality is World Vision is more Christian than that. Jesus says to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, uh, help the oppressed. It's very clear. Uh, There are over 5,000 verses in Scripture that call upon us to do love and justice for the poor and the oppressed of the world. And uh, the question is, do we get to preach the gospel? St. Francis of Assisi uh, made a statement that I, I think is often quoted by World Vision people. We should declare the gospel of Jesus all day long, and when possible, we should use words. In fact, a country that may say we don't want missionaries in here preaching the gospel, trying to disrupt the indigenous religion, we say, look, we'll still feed your children. We'll still nurture the oppressed. We're there in the name of Jesus. We're not going to try to win converts directly, but we're going to present the gospel 
in loving service to those who are in need. I admire that. I hope our listeners admire that. Admire an organization that says, we're going to feed the hungry. We're going to clothe the naked. We're going to lift up the oppressed. And uh, we're not going to put any uh, requirements on that. We do it because we are expressing the love of God. What a wonderful thing to do. And uh, if, we, if we do this, we will, in fact, uh, make Jesus known in ways that uh, Jesus understands. Uh, let's talk about another country. Um, what about Sudan? You mentioned you were in South Sudan, and there's a problem there with uh, children's soldiers. What is, what's the official name of that? Boys and boys uh, 11, 12 years old being recruited to be mercenaries, to be carrying machine guns. Tell us about that. Yeah, in, in South Sudan, but also I saw that most recently, I would say, in the Central African Republic, another part of the, the, the continent that's really troubled, one of oh, the most yes. fragile places on earth. And it's not just boys, Tony, it's, it's girls as well. Um, armed groups will come into a village and often try to, and sometimes it's tribal conflict or ethnic conflict or religious conflict, and they will come in and essentially terrorize a village. And one of the most effective ways that they do it is that they will abduct or take children away from their families, make them connect into these armed groups, often commit terrible crimes of atrocity, perhaps killing a family member or somebody else, because they know that they want to make it difficult for those children to go back to their families. If they have experienced this or someone has witnessed this, they feel the shame and, and deep disconnection from, from their families. No, hold and just, it's just a moment. a horrific situation, children being forced to bear arms against their will. And we, one of the work that works that we are doing in, in some of our peacemaking and peacebuilding programs in Central African Republic is actually working with thousands of children who are being demobilized from these armed groups, helping them to reintegrate back into society. No. And some of the, the most significant stories that I heard is sitting down with these children who say, you know what, the adults aren't going to do it, but I'm sitting across, in this particular case, there was a, a girl, uh, Antoinette, who was from one of the armed groups, and a boy, Lionel, from one of the other, the, the, the opposing armed groups, sitting together as co-chairs of this peace club and say, we're going to show the adults of our country what peace looks like, and we're starting with us incredibly oh. inspiring, even now, in a really dark place. Now, did I hear you right that it, there are instances where these uh, terrorizing gangs come into a village and actually get a boy or a girl to kill somebody in their own family? Absolutely. Oh, these terrible stories, and, and because they want to, they almost want to take it away and, and cut off the bridge of return, cut off the bridge of relationship and reconciliation. When when we talk to children who have made the decision to leave armed groups, often by escaping uh, under terrible duress, one of the reasons that they say they hesitated to come back is that they feared that their families and their communities would not accept them. Mm -hmm. Even though they had been taken against their will, they had been forced to do these acts that were meant to put a barrier between the relationship, the community that's so critical, and these individual children. Well, the it's thing a, about it's, it's some... A, it's a terrible evil. That a child should be forced to kill somebody in his own family is mind-boggling to me. You know, George Bernard Shaw said, I, I don't believe that there's a God. 
but I do believe there's a Satan. And when you hear stories like this, you would say, Satan is alive and well in the world. I believe in God, and I thank God that there are groups like World Vision who are out there doing things for the kingdom. Again, let me urge people, when this program is over, uh, to find out by whatever means, computer or uh, telephone operators, where the local World Vision office in your country is, and uh, then find out how much it would take to sponsor a child through World Vision and, uh, and, and do it. Uh, sponsor a child through World Vision. Uh, I loved what you just said, Michael, about uh, working with a village. Sometimes I hear the criticism. Well, what happens when World Vision comes in and picks one child from one family, supports that child, and all the other children in the village are looking in saying, what about us? What about us? What about us? Doesn't that alienate the child from the rest of the community? World Vision doesn't do that. What it tries to do is get all the children in a given village to be sponsored at the same time so that there isn't that kind of jealousy and that kind of hostility rising up in a given community. So thank you for being that wise and that sensitive and that aware of what's going on. Uh, Right over here in the Western Hemisphere, we've got a mess just uh, on the other side of the Caribbean, which is uh, Venezuela. Now, have you been to Venezuela? I have not been to Venezuela, and I have to say that that most of our team uh, until recently have kind of been prevented from going in, frankly. We have been very active in all of the countries around Venezuela because one of the not only is there an economic crisis in Venezuela, but we are seeing a huge outflux of displaced people leaving, escaping poverty and difficulty in Venezuela. And of course, they they often leave with nothing, with no connections, and we have to come alongside uh, helping these countries who are accepting these refugees, uh, but they're at their breaking point themselves. Yeah. Um, you, more than four and a half million Venezuelans, Venezuelans have left the country since 2015, looking for food, for work, for a better life, and it could, cre- it could be increased even by another two and a half million uh, by, by next year. You know, if the United States is guilty of anything... It's guilty of facilitating the creation of refugees. Uh, Somebody from Syria uh, said to me, if you Americans are so upset with refugees trying to get into your country, why do you keep creating them? And I think of Syria, where the United States has come in on the side of a rebel army that's trying to overthrow the government. The Russians are on the other side uh, supporting that government. And the people are caught in the middle, and they're becoming refugees. Last year, can you imagine how many refugees from Syria, uh, a country that has literally a couple of million refugees out there, more than that actually, uh, resulting from this war that we have been supporting. Uh, Do you know how many refugees the United States accepted last year? Eleven. We create the problem, and then we do nothing to live— relieve the problem. Uh, You're dealing with refugees all over the world. Tell me about some of the refugee work you're doing. Well, you're right to to, to, to point out the the need to address refugees. And it's not just refugees, it's displaced people as well, even within countries. So Syria is a great example. The number in Syria is actually way bigger than even what you just said. 6.7 million refugees from Syria. And inside Syria, there's another 6 million people 
displaced. That's an unbelievable humanitarian crisis that's gone on now since 2011, and there don't that doesn't seem to be any sign that that conflict is going to end anytime soon. Yeah, and but we've, got, I, we've got a problem here in the United States with the evangelical community so identifying with Donald Trump, uh, rubbing shoulders with him, uh, calling him God's ordained, etc., and they're thrilled when, uh, when uh, Donald Trump increases military spending. And what the evangelical community should be doing if it has an entree with President Trump, they should be saying, what are you going to do to alleviate the refugee problems that we have helped create? What are you going to do to make things better for refugees? Uh, Michael, uh, it's been a privilege to have you as a guest. And once again, whether you're in Canada or the United Kingdom or uh, New Zealand or uh, South Africa or uh, Australia, could you contact your local World Vision office and sign on as a, um, as a uh, sponsor of a child? It's the best investment you can make. Maybe you can, can't change the whole world, but you can change the world for one child. I've been talking to Michael Messenger and we're running out of time. I, uh, once again, support World Vision. Call the local Vo- World Vision headquarters and sponsor a child. That's the least you can do for Christ and the kingdom. You can make a big difference in the life of a child. Thanks for listening. This is Tony Campolo asking you to come back next week, same time, same station. I'll be here for you.